England. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the second ever, much delayed, uh, second episode of the 4114, hosted by me, myself and I, John Prince. Once again, no guests this time, just me invading your audio waves on your AirPods in my parents' newly remodeled kitchen or in your radios sitting in traffic on Highway 5 heading north into Seattle. Um, thank you guys for the patience in getting the second episode up and running. Um, I think the the number one thing I've learned while even starting this podcast is that, number one, it's incredibly exciting when something launches and you have friends actually listening to you and, and saying that the content that they're hearing is halfway decent, which I honestly was shooting for a four out of 10. So having somebody say that it was good is, is more than enough for me. Um, but I think also the thing I've learned is that, you know, I've had this newfound respect for podcasters in general, but maybe I'm a little biased, but self, you know, sports podcasters particularly. And I, and I say that because, you know, when I recorded the first episode, I said, I think I verbatim said that I would release one of these every week or every two weeks. And I think a week after I, after I recorded the first one is when, um, you know, <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo walked off the field before the end of the game against Tottenham. And I thought, oh my God, you know, this stuff writes itself. <laughs> I, all I've got to do is just wait for the sporting world to to do what it does. And all I've got to do is talk about it. I, I, you know, I don't have to worry about any kind of slow news cycle. There's going to be something to talk about every single week um, because I am a fan of the most dramatic, you know, sports team on the planet. Um, and then I didn't because, you know, things get busy and you don't prioritize things, the things you don't prioritize and then you regret it. But nonetheless, and then a week later, Ronaldo was back and he was captain of the team. And I thought, oh my God, now I've got this to talk about. I didn't do it again. And then I thought to myself, okay, well, you know, the next week, um, World Cup's coming up in a couple of weeks. Maybe I'll do a preview pod. And, and all of a sudden you've got, you know, teams releasing kits that are are hiding their country's logo because they don't want to be, um, they don't want to be connected or associated with the, with Qatari, the Qatar World Cup. And they'll do whatever they can to kind of hide, hide their logo or hide their country from it, um, even though they're going to participate. And I thought, wow, great. And I, I still didn't record it. And, and all, needless to say, anyway, you know, these things pass pass you by, right? And if, if you miss two days in this news cycle, it's it's pretty unbelievable how, how quickly you miss things. So with that being said, um, thank you for staying with me. Hopefully, you know, we keep up the listening. I think I had 30 listens last time. So, you know, I'll shoot for 20 this time. I think that's that's a good amount of depreciation on the listens. But that's what I'll shoot for. Um, thank you again uh, to all the sports podcasters out there who are much more um, loyal and ritualistic than I am on this stuff. Um, I applaud you. It truly is a, a hard thing to do, especially when it's not your full time job and and you've got to, you you want to see friends and you want to you want to keep fit and you want to work and you want to do well in, in your personal life, etc. That is that is truly something that um, I'm I'm very respectful of of everybody out there. So, needless to say. Lots of stuff has happened. Um, I think really for the for the purpose of this second podcast, I think I'm going to talk about pretty much what everybody has on their mind, um, which if it isn't this, uh, please chime in, um, send me an Instagram DM or tell me what you're actually thinking about. But I, I want to talk about the World Cup um, and the World Cup 2022 that is uh, a little over a week old, which is kind of hard to believe, um, given that, you know, the the buildup to this thing, especially because it took, you know, six months longer than it typically does. But we're in the full throes of the World Cup, which is which is truly fantastic. Um, I am just such a sucker for the World Cup. And I think, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a team that participates almost every time, knocking on wood as often as I can. 
Um, but even, you know, living in the United States, I think one of the things that I've recognized is that when the World Cup happens here, people pay attention, right? It's not the, the World Cup is one of those things where people can say all they want that, you know, oh, soccer is not really my, my favorite sport. or I'm not really. But you get sucked into it here, right? Like um, every single match you watch doesn't matter if it's, you know, two of the most obscure countries playing each other in this year's tournament, right? They are going to mention the U.S.'s next match. They are going to have interviews with players and coaches. And, and you fall in love with these individuals um, who are on the field, who are just giving their all, right? I mean, Christian, <laughs> Christian Pulisic put his Pulisics on the line um, for the United States, right? And, and it's got this incredible symmetry with, with the Landon Donovan goal eight years ago against Algeria. Not quite the drama of it, obviously, not, not in overtime, but <clears throat> nonetheless, this, this charging American running through the, running through the box and putting the ball in the goal, um, and just putting his, putting his, <laughs> putting his, putting future Pulisics for, for us national teams 40 years from now on the line, um, to win, to win against Iran, which is, which is really kind of fantastic. Um, not for Christian Pulisic, but I, I just think the, the, the amount that people get drawn into this during this time is, is really and truly incredible. And I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot to be said about the Qatar World Cup. I am not going to go into it because I just am not an expert in any of those kind of um, geopolitical. Uh, gosh, I don't even know what to call it. Geopolitical uh, situations that that are involved there. I mean, I think you know it's undeniable that there have that there have been just abhorrent um, human rights uh, violations in that country. Um, it is a country that by no means should have ever hosted a World Cup. It should not have had a team in the World Cup ever. Um, it's probably, I think it's probably a safe bet to say that if, if they weren't hosting, Qatar would never have participated in the World Cup, especially considering that they are the first ever host nation to go out before three before their group stages are up. Um, and they also had the worst performance of a host nation ever, um, despite spending $10 billion plus dollars on a program that I, I shit you not, listeners, called The Spire, which, yes, if you think it sounds like a James Bond um, evil organization, you are spot on. Um, they spent, you know, $10 billion plus to try to develop a team that would compete, and they just didn't. So um, that is, you know, I'm, I, I don't need to have half a business. I don't need to have a business degree to tell you that the ROI on that of, of $10 billion and one goal is probably not going to do it for you. Um, so anyway, I'm not going to go into all that, but I do want to kind of comment on number one, if, if you are curious in, in listening a little bit about the kind of the corruption that led to Qatar getting the World Cup and really, you know, the, the uproar as to why people just don't love having Qatar have the World Cup. Um, I, I recommend listening to uh, World Corrupt on Spotify, which is hosted by the Men in Blazers uh, podcast network, which is fantastic if you haven't listened to it. Um, and also FIFA Uncovered on Netflix, which is a documentary to go over it all. So Needless to say, um, listen to those if you want more background on it. I have, I think it's very insightful. I think it's very educational. Um, but I think the number one thing that I'm learning, right, is this term sports washing, which is a, it's the theory that countries or, you know, these huge newsworthy um, violations that, that cause uproar amongst the public can get washed away by, you know, the euphoria that follows sports um, and giant sports events in the world. And 
you know, you hear about it going into these things and you think to yourself like, yeah, but you know, you can't forget that this stuff's going to happen and this stuff's going to escalate. And, you know, we've had, we've had things at this world cup, right? We've had Iranians who are, um, supporting, um, you know, people, the protests that are happening in Iran, which um, I'd love to get a, a good mate of mine, Arvin on the podcast to talk about a little bit, um, in the future, but you know, they're getting news, um, news representation on, on us networks, et cetera, um, and not being allowed into, into stadiums, et cetera. Um, you have that, you have, um, people running onto the, onto the field, right. Supporting Ukraine with rainbow flags. You have people trying to smuggle in rainbow paraphernalia into the, into the stadium. So all this stuff was going on. And you know what, <laughs> if it's, if it's the 72nd minute and Costa Rica scores a goal, um, to start beating Germany or, or to start drawing Germany, meaning that, you know, Germany and Spain are going to go out of the World Cup group. I, you forget all about it, right? I, I was standing in my living room, jumping up and down, screaming at the TV, watching Germany play Costa Rica and Japan play Spain. And, and you forget all about it. And, you know, if England are lucky enough to win the World Cup or whoever wins the World Cup this year, I can almost guarantee that none of those fans are ever going to say, wow, do you remember that World Cup that we won? God, wasn't that hor horrible that Qatar got that? No, they are going to celebrate the fact that their team won those World Cups. And it, it's, you know, on one side, I guess you have to be apologetic. I, I guess you have to be just because, you know, there are there are thousands of people who have lost their lives. There's been tons of um, abuse that's, or there's been a lot of abuse that's happened. There's been tons of bribery and corruption leading up to this. And, and of course, I wish that, that the World Cup was chosen ethically and fairly and all this other stuff and, and that the stadiums had already been built or they had been built with um, proper workforce, with proper wages, et cetera. But you get washed away in it, right? You really get sucked up by the news cycle and the sports and the teams and the players and, and the news articles and, and you just stop thinking about it. And that is, you know, that's something we really can't get away from as fans. Um, but I do think that, that it is something that, you know, once the dust settles and whoever's holding up that that glorious golden trophy at the end of this, I think us as fans and and us as people who have gotten sucked into this this beautiful, beautiful game, we can't forget, right, that this this was not this was not right by all by all means and, and by much more educated people than me. This was not right that Qatar had this World Cup. But good Lord, the it is it is a hell of a World Cup to be having when when you have teams like Belgium and Germany going out in the same in the same uh, in the same day. And you have teams like Costa Rica who got beaten seven nil by Spain. Um, putting up a battle and having Spain finish second to a Japanese team that, you know, really no one had no one had as a favorite, right? Or no one had as going through. And you have the US team, you know, sneaking into the knockout stages. I'm sure plenty of you are shaking your heads, but but sneaking into the knockout stages in, in second place there after after you know sneaking one past Iran or Iran um one nil on Tuesday. Um you, you really do get sucked up in it. So needless to say, um or no, one one more thing I guess is, you know, like I don't know if I ever considered going to the Qatari World Cup, right? Like I have my eyes on 2026 and Mexico and, and the US and Canada, and that should be a great one. But, you know, Chase, a couple of friends of ours, Chase um, and Amy are over there right now. I think they've been to eight different matches and they have had, I mean, I, I don't know if they're Irish, but they have had the luck of the Irish there. They've seen Japan beat Spain. They've seen Saudi Arabia beat Argentina um god i don't know what else they've seen i think they've seen germany spain if, I, if i'm not wrong they've seen a couple of games that are just unbelievable and and the luck that they've had and the and the videos they've sent us and it is a spectacle i mean these are seven to ten or however many stadiums there are of the most up-to-date top-looking stadiums in the world um and and it looks incredible but 
again, the, all that stuff is is very surface level, right? And there's there's plenty of stuff underneath it. And and you know what? I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that's gone on for the U.S. to get it in 2026, and and God knows what else. I'm sure there's tons of stuff that if someone were to write a book about it all society would come crumbling down. But let's talk about the positive things. Um, let's get on with the podcast. Um, the second episode of the 4114. Again, that is a soccer formation. Go ahead and look it up. But it, I don't think it's one that's very well used, but you know what the 411 men, means, or if you're like me in their early 30s. Um, hopefully, you know what that means. I don't know what the kids call it nowadays. But needless to say, we will talk... Um, England, number one, I have to get that out of the way just because I think it's been I think it's been a good start. I don't think it's been great, but I do think there's been some positives. I just want to talk about that really quickly. Uh, I want to get to, you know, the real the real inside of the sandwich here. The the most important thing, probably to my listeners, just general thoughts on the USA. Excuse me. Um, and then I want to talk about just other teams doing well. General observations about this World Cup, and then. Uh, We'll finish up with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, the uh, the prince who was promised, and uh, you know it's almost as if it was Jon Snow who came back to life. And I wish someone had just killed him before the end of the show, <laughs> transparently. So let's get on with it. I'm going to take a sip of my uh, mango orange spindrift. Uh, don't at me. I do think that's the best sparkling water in the world. Pick up a case at Trader Joe's today. Little ASMR for you over there. Um, my dad actually told me last time, when on the first episode, that I apologize for the sound on the mic too much. So no more apologies. Um, I'm just going to talk. We'll see how it goes. I am what keeping an eye on the timer, so we're not going to run out of time at 30 minutes this time. Um, and we're going to just see how this goes. So needless to say, let us get on with England. Whew! I I have been alive now for how many World Cups? I was born in 91, and I believe 94, 98, 02, 06, 10, 14, 18, and now 22. So that's eight World Cups. I think I remember six. I think the first memories I have of the World Cup in 1998, France, watching with my dad in his, um, I think, it, I don't know what it was called, but I, I know he was recovering from back surgery, and I remember watching it in his in his little patient room. And I, I love the World Cup, and God save my soul. I love watching the England national team. And you know what? I think as England fans, we have been blessed in the past past four years, not only with, you know, obviously making the semis in 2018, making the finals at Euro 2020, and, and you know, losing out to the Italians in the penalty kicks. But, you know, I'll, all I'll say is this. Italy didn't make the World Cup, and Belgium went out in the group stages. So if that's karma, I don't know what isn't, um, but that seems pretty fair to me. Um, England is through. England is through first in the group. Um, there were some certainly some nervy stages in there. Obviously, we kicked the living crap out of um, Iran. However, um, I don't. You know, that, there were some weird lineup choices done there by Carlos Quiroz. I don't know if they necessarily put out their top lineup. Six two, I think, is a is certainly a scoreline that fa- that flatters the English a little bit. I'll talk about the USA game in a minute. And then, you know, we, we beat Wales 3-0. But transparently, and, and I'm sure the U.S. fans are probably not going to want to hear this, Wales is shite. Wales is a, is a terrible team. Um, and the Welsh, you know, they were looked at as maybe a little bit of dark horses in this. But, but truth be told, they hadn't made a tournament in 60-odd years. And their best players were Gareth Bale, who's in his mid-30s and, and really hasn't played that often. Aaron Ramsey, who's in his mid-30s, who really hasn't played that often. Joe Allen. And, and, you know, they're being kind of dragged along 
and and it's it's very romantic right they got this last last opportunity to shine on a world stage um but you know they went out right and they drew with the us um off a key for more goal which fine um they got beaten by iran by two goals in overtime in the night i think it was the 98th hundredth minute 98th and the hundredth i think that was it and then they got the their teeth kicked in by england and it probably could have been five or six so wales sayonara let's talk about the england usa game (laughs) i it's black friday which i work in retail so i'm i'm working all day so i'm in the office it's my 31st birthday i'm surrounded by us fans in a conference room (laughs) at my office and i i don't think i blinked or breathed and i think at one point my heart rate was 120 beats a minute and i i've never We've played the U.S. twice now in my life, and both times, for some stupid reason, I've decided to surround myself with Americans, and I just can't breathe the whole time because, as an Englishman, you want to be cocky about all this stuff, right? You really do because it's England. England has soccer. The U.S. has everything else—a reliable economy, <laughs> right? Somewhat of an empire. Um, fucking every major sport they're good at, right? England has soccer and Americans invest in English soccer because it is it is the peak of that sport. And fine, we may not have won a World Cup since 1966, but God save the king. Eng- football is our sport. Um, and so, yeah, I was I was cocky as all else. I, I told most of my I had I had two dreams leading up to that match. I had one dream where England was up 3-0 within 20 minutes, and I put my laptop and my pen down. I got up, I bowed to my team, and I left the room. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cocky asshole, and I very much apologize for that. <laughs> um, and, then, and then my second dream is that the U.S. was winning. My team got up and started beating me up. Um, and, you, know, I, I, you know, luckily, I guess I got, I got the middle of the two where I, I saved my, my team's respect by not being overly cocky. Um, and I also didn't get beat up. So I guess a nil-nil draw is, is what we deserved in the end. Um, but I, transparently, I think the U.S. probably won 50 to 60 minutes of that game. I'll be honest. There, there was some commentary saying the U.S. was the better team. I don't know if that was true, but I will say this. Going into that match, I thought to myself, let, let me pull up the lineups here, but I'll, I'll kind of talk about this a little bit, you know. Going into that match, I thought to myself, who on the U.S. team would I legitimately take on this England team and and slot into the starting lineup, right? Because sometimes that's kind of what you want to think about because you kind of think to yourself, you know, is there anyone on the other team who's who's really gonna who's really gonna beat us? Is is there anyone that I really need to keep my eye on? And and I'll be honest, if I look at this and I think goal, am I a huge fan of Jordan Pickford? No, but I would take him. Harry Maguire, I'm taking him purely because Walker Zimmerman plays on the Nashville SC team and Tim Ream is 35 years old. (laughs) John Stones, is he reliable? No, but he plays for Manchester City. Luke Shaw versus Anthony Robinson. I got to take Luke Shaw. He's played in major tournaments and he's scored in a final. Kieran Trippier, same story. And he's, you know, I prefer him over Serginho Dest. Mason Mount, now, like, this is where it really gets challenging, right? You've got Mason Mound, Declan, Ra- Declan Rice, and Jude Bellingham. And you've got Musa, Tyler Adams, and Weston McKinney on the, on the American. And I, I think really, like, going into it, I probably would have taken Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham. And then I probably would have taken Tyler Adams in, in the midfield. And, and you could convince me on Weston McKinney, I think, over, 
over Declan Rice. But nonetheless, I think Declan Rice is is a good player. Um, but coming out of it, I mean, Yunus Musa, Tyler Adams, those two particularly, I think Tyler Adams is going to go to a Champions League team next year. I think Leeds is a Leeds is a fantastic spot for him. But coming out of this tournament, him and Yunus Musa are going to get big moves because those guys are they bossed that midfield. They dominated the middle of the field, and most of the time, England were just passing around the back. Which you know, England will pass around the back, and then they try and get it up to their front three, where you've got uh, a combination of you know Saka, Kane, Rashford. Um, Sterling, Jack Grealish, you know, whoever you want, but those are the guys you've got out there and, and England couldn't get the ball up to them. And yeah, they had a couple of chances here and there, fine. But I actually think, you know, Pulisic rattling a left foot shot off the off the crossbar, I actually think the US had the better chances. So I, I honestly think if you, I know it ended nil-nil, but I think the US probably won that game. Um, and, that, and I really think it probably speaks very highly of the US to say, I think they performed better against the teams that they shouldn't have beaten versus the teams that they should have. Wales, I'm sorry, but Wales lost 3-0 and 2-0 to England and Iran. US should have beaten them. That 1-1 is, is not a scoreline that flatters. And I think... I, I, anyway, I'll, I'll talk about them in a minute. But nonetheless, I, I think the, I think the U.S. won the majority of that match, and and really England probably didn't do themselves any favors. And I don't think it's you know, I mean, God, it was the second time in a row that the you know Daily Mail and God knows what else had written things like you know uh, uh, what a loss or things like that. And and I actually think the the U.S. Um, outplayed us. So I don't know if you put that on the coaches, or I don't know if you just say that the players didn't get up for it, or they played nervy because they really thought that was going to be the match that they were going to get challenged, or God knows what else. But England, England came out of it. They, you know, they ended up with their seven points. They're top of the group. They play Senegal on Sunday, and we'll see, right? Like the the real challenging part that I'm 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 honestly going to be a little bit um, I'm going to be a little bit nervous about now is. Um, England have got the tougher side of the bracket. And historically, in these major tournaments, we've somehow managed to get a fairly easy draw. Um, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but I remember in 2018, the biggest challenge we had was Belgium, which we went out in the semis to them. And then in the Euros, we played Denmark, and I think we played Iceland. And then we had Italy in the final, right? And we lost to Italy. But this time, it's going to be a challenge. If we If we come out of this one against Senegal, we play the winner of France or Poland which I don't know if my heart can um, survive 90 minutes of watching Kylian Mbappe, Teenage Mutant, Ninja, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle number five running down the wing at us. If we win that, which is a big if, and by the way, this is contingent on getting past Senegal, which I, I actually think Senegal is not an easy match. I, I was watching them play in their final group match. I think that is, I mean, we, we call it a, a banana peel, which is an opportunity to slip up. Thank you, Josh Garlic, for that reference. And then if we win that, we play Spain, which I'm assuming they'll beat Morocco, which Spain are a really good team. They're another one that I would look for in 2026. Um, or the winner of you know Group 1H or the runner-up in Group 1G, which um, that could be, oh God, um, Brazil or Switzerland or Portugal or Ghana. So worst case scenario here, we play Senegal, we play France, and then we play Spain or Portugal, which that's a lot to then get into the, you know, that's a lot to get into the semifinal. Um, or sorry, yeah, that's a lot to get into the final. Um, so we'll see. Um, England, 
I, I think, you know, I think they've figured out that Rashford needs to start. That guy is happy. And, and I think, you know, the other thing that I just want to talk about here is I think a lot of English media are underplaying how good this team are. And I know there's some misses, right? We don't have a great center back pairing and Harry Kane hasn't scored a goal yet. Um, and we don't have our preferred right wing back in Reese James. But this is a team that for the large part has been together now for four years and has the experience of going to a semifinal and a final, right? Senegal, I don't remember the last time they were in the knockout stages. France is a bit of a toss up. They've lost some key players, but they've been dominating teams. I, I would just say it's their bench depth that's really going to sacrifice them. But, you know, who knows if they need to play their bench. Morocco and Spain. Spain is a young team, right? We haven't seen this this new Spain generation play for quite a while, right? The days of Iniesta and um, and Xavi are over. Although somehow, I don't know how, Sergio Busquets, I thought he was 40 years old. He's like 33, <laughs> 34, which is unbelievable. Um, Portugal have been around forever, right? A lot of these teams that are going through, they, they've have, they have some cohesion, right? Argentina has been together for a long time. Australia has been together for a long time. The Japanese team knows, knows each other inside and out. Croatia has been there before. Um, so I don't know how much value you need to put on consistency and, you know, teams that are playing together for a long time. But I, I think, I, I think the English team is, uh, is underplayed or, um, what's the word? Not overrated. I think they're a little bit underrated, right? Like you look at this, Jordan Pickford has been on this team before. Kyle Walker, Luke Shaw, John Stones, Harry Maguire, Kieran Trippier, Eric Dyer, um, Declan Rice, Jack Grealish, Jordan Henderson, Calvin Phillips, Saka, Mount, Foden, uh, not Bellingham, uh, Kane, Sterling, Rashford. Those guys have all been on this team. So I think best case scenario, I think England gets to the quarterfinals against France. Do I think that they are going to go through against France? God knows. I mean, you'd love to think it, wouldn't you? But that will be a tough one. And the age-old saying of football is a match between two teams that goes for 120 minutes and then the Germans win on penalties. Maybe that now applies to the French. So go, go, England. Uh, up the three Lions. You know, down down a pint of uh, of London's favorite or I don't know pick a pint just down it Newcastle brown ale why not um I'll certainly be watching on Sunday against Senegal we hope we come through that and then off to the races France Spain and then maybe Brazil and we'll see what happens but God God save the king God save Harry Kane and God God love you Marcus Rashford keep smiling and get that golden boot so take a little break here Take another sip of spin drift, and then I'll be back and talking about the uh, USA. So thanks for listening to the first part of this podcast. Okay, welcome back. Part two. Let's jump in. Again, another sip of spin drift down. Deep breaths. Let's talk USA to my American listeners. I think you've done just as well as I think you should expect to do. Um, and I think at this point, you are playing with... Um, what is it? You were playing with, uh, oh my God, you were playing with the house, right? Like, I, I think you've made the knockout stages. And I think, you know, I wish I wish I had Chase on this podcast. I wish I'd, I'd gotten him in before he, he flew off to Qatar. I wish I had no, another one of my friends who's a big fan of the US soccer team. Um, but at this point, you finished second in the group, which is what was expected. And now you play a Dutch team that is beatable. Um, yeah, they've got Van Dyke. And yeah, they've got Cody Gakbo, <clears throat> who I hope plays for Manchester United come January. 
And, you know, that's about it. I, I don't know if you put them on the same level as the Dutch teams from the past. Um, they certainly are a solid team. They won their group. Um, but this is a, you know, if, if the U.S. go into that match and beat the Dutch, they had a group with Senegal, Equator, Ecuador, sorry, and Qatar, and one, two, drew one, had five goals and scored one. And the U.S. scored two and had one. So I think this is going to come really down to the United States midfield and defense and how much they're going to be able to contain the Dutch, similar to what they did with the U.S. And can they sneak in a goal? Um, and, and transparently, the thing that I'm kind of most shocked, right? Number one, the U.S. has taken four strikers, and I don't think they trust a single one of them, right? They've got Jesus Ferreira, they've got jo uh, Josh Sargent, and Haji Wright. Um, I think that's it. I, somebody's going to correct me. I don't know um, if they have anybody else. I'm just doing a quick double check. I don't think so. I think that's it. Jesus Ferreira, uh, Josh Sargent, and Haji Wright. And I guess you count Pulisic, but he's been playing on the left. And, you know, and the U.S. team doesn't trust anyone, any of them, right? There is no recognized number nine. And I think that's going to be the downfall here because in the knockout stages, you're either going to have to score a goal in 90 minutes and win that way and have a goal scorer, right? Teams like England with Harry Kane, teams like Holland with Cody Gakpo, teams like um, France with, you know, Kylian Mbappe, Spain with Alvaro Morata, Poland with Lewandowski, Brazil with Neymar if he comes back from his injury or Ricarlison, Portugal with Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes. You, you either score a goal or you hold on for dear life for 120 minutes and you take it to penalties and in penalties anything can happen, right? As an England fan, I, I can speak from personal experience that you can get beaten in penalties by anybody, right? And, and, it's, and there's going to be a match where somebody is going to have to get through penalties. And I think the U.S. has the midfield to do some damage in this match against Holland on Saturday, or sorry, against the Netherlands on Saturday at 7 o'clock in the morning Pacific time, 10 a.m. Eastern. Um, but you don't have a goal scorer. And at the end of the day, your two goals have been scored, one beautifully by um, Timothy Weah, whose father is the president of Liberia, former Ballon d'Or winner George Weah, which, I mean, that is a pub quiz fact that I hope I win a million pounds on. Um, and Christian Pulisic sacrificing himself. And again, future Pulisic, we're going to have to rely on Aronsons for, for the rest of the, you know, the rest of our years. So what does Burhalter do? And I think the other thing that I, I think is a little bit concerning and, and, you know, there was a podcast I was listening to where I don't know if Greg Burhalter trusts the U.S. team to get through 90 minutes with full force, because logic would say you play your best team. And you find the best way to get all your best players on the field. And I'm sorry, but your best players from an outsider looking in who doesn't know as much about the U.S. national team as others, your best players include Aronson on the bench and Gio Reyna, who's on the bench. They do not include Shaq Moore <laughs> and Hachi Wright. And... Weston McKenney coming off after 60 minutes with Brandon Aronson coming on. The argument could be made that maybe you're doing that because you're bringing on Aronson as that kind of, you know, bulldog who you want to kind of bring on as like your wild card in the second half um, to kind of surprise the opposition to continue to chase the ball and take the, you know, game up a level. But 
you can't, you know, you're going to have to, if you're going to play 120 minutes against the Netherlands or Argentina or one of these teams, you've got to have your best players out there for 90 minutes or at least 80 minutes, and you've got to have a bench. And I think that's the piece that is going to really, really hurt the U.S. in this World Cup. However, I think there's enough talent now on the United States um, depth chart, I guess, over the next four years that'll be, you know, maturing not only this current um, stable of players, but also players that are coming up. Um, that in 2026, that's where your expectations probably need to go up a notch. And you're going to, I think the U.S. is going to need to find a coach that's going to be able to cultivate that talent and really play strategically there. But you need a number nine, number one, right? The U.S., the, I mean, England suffered for that from a long time before Harry Kane came along. Um, you know, Wayne Rooney, fine, <laughs> but still. Um, Wayne Rooney always kind of played more of a central attacking midfielder and, you know, you had Daniel Sturridge backing him up, but you need a number nine, number one, and you need more depth outside of midfield, whether it's someone to support, um, Christian Pulisic. You also need, honestly, someone needs to make it clear as to why Gio Reyna is not playing. Cause he's your, ta- he's your most talented player and he's not, he's played seven minutes and he's played less than Shaq Moore. And not to mention, I, I am a Seattle Sounders fan. Jordan Morris coming off the bench in that first game against Wales when you needed a goal made no sense because the standout moment of U.S.'s qualifying campaign is when Gio Reyna picked up the ball in the first third against Mexico, dribbled around seven different Mexican players and pulled it up and got a free kick um, nigh on outside of the box against Mexico. So I don't know why Gio Reyna is not playing. I don't know why Brendan Aronson's coming off in the second half. And you know what? The other thing, I'll say this against the Iran match because I was watching with my mates. Um, I don't understand why coaches when, you know, I don't understand what the purpose is of letting other teams attack you. Because in the last 10 minutes of that game, and I think this is where Greg Burhalter is falling short. And I think there's a lot. I mean, look, he got, he, he brought up new talent. He's cultivated, he's gotten players who could have switched allegiances from the U.S. to join the U.S. team. So he's done a lot of good. I'm sure I'll, hopefully I'll get someone on the podcast at some point to, to talk about what their genuine feelings of him are as an American coach. Um, but at the end of the day, he's gotten you into the knockout stages, but I think he's gotten lucky. And in, in that last 10 minutes against Iran, Iran had two very, very good chances to put it away. And I think if if there had been a draw and England and Iran had gone through and the U.S. had been knocked out, I think Burhalter would have been in serious trouble. Um, and I think his substitutes would have been called into question. And I really think his strategy would have been called into question where Haji Wright can't be dribbling up the middle and not take it to the corner flag, kick it softly with his left foot to the goalkeeper and set up a counterattack. That, that just can't be how you're drilling your players. And, and maybe it was just Haji Wright going for glory. I don't know. But I, I still think like, the two things that are really going to really gonna hurt the U.S. in this World Cup are the quality that you can bring off the bench um, and the lack of a goal scorer. Um, and, that, you know, when I, was thinking of, when, I, when I was thinking of doing the podcast before the England-USA game, which, again, I didn't do. It's been six weeks since my last pod. But the bench options for the U.S. were Shaq Moore, MLS, Jordan Morris, Jesus Ferreira, Aaron Long, Christian Roldan, Yed, DeAndre Yedlin, Joe Scally, Luca De La Torre, Brendan Aronson, Gio Reyna. The two players, I think, would get into the England bench, or at least being in the England consideration of probably Brendan Aronson and Gio Reyna. I love Jordan Morris and I love Christian Roldan, but even, I mean, the majority of people who said they got picked said they basically were chosen as personality guys. 
England could bring Jordan Henderson, Liverpool captain, Jack Grealish, 100 million, plays for Man City, Marcus Rashford, Eric Dyer, centre-back for Tottenham, starting, Kyle Walker, starting right-back for Man City, Connor Gallagher, intermittent starter for Chelsea, Calvin Phillips, Fine, he's played six minutes for Man City, but he's still 60 million from Leeds. Trent Alexander-Arnold and Phil Foden. That was the bench. And I think that's really what the US here, I I think you come out of this World Cup, and and I will do another podcast once Chase gets back from Qatar to kind of talk about this to get his input. But I think you've got four years before your World Cup. You have to cultivate some kind of striker talent, number one, and you have to develop a bench. Um, and I don't know how you do that, but you've really, I mean, the quality of the MLS is improving. The number of, of American players playing abroad is increasing. And I think the U.S. is probably getting enough publicity now that there's probably going to be some more switches that come over to the U.S. side that, you know, could have played for other na- nationalities. But that's going to be the thing that is really going to take the, the U.S. to another level is if they can get a bench where you're not bringing in Shaq Moore and Haji Wright off the bench. Um, and, and really... Let's see what happens with with the Netherlands. I'd love to see Brendan Aronson play alongside, um, you know, Pulisic and uh, and um, Wea and Tyler Adams and uh, McKenney um, and Musa. I'd love to see Gio Reyna get in there. Shit, I'd love to see Christian Roldan come off the bench just to have, you know, two World Cup players um, for the Sounders because I think that would be amazing. Um, and also. Why not play way up front? The finish he's had, the first game against Wales, it was a fantastic finish. And then he had a finish that was ruled off for offside, which I still don't understand, um, against uh, Iran to go up 2-0. He's got finishing talent, and he's fast. And you can play someone else on the right-hand side, I think, to have Wea run up the middle. Um, And I think that's a good idea. I'm not getting paid for any of that, so God knows I might be completely wrong, and maybe you know Barhalter sees something else. But I, I think that could be an option. Um, it also would allow you to maybe play someone on the right that's been on the bench, <coughs> Gio Reyna. Um, but anyway, let's see. I think if they play the Netherlands, I think there's an opening there. You really got to control Cody Gakpo. That guy is going to get some. Number one, I fully anticipate that his Instagram page is going to have about 40 of my, you know, female friends following him because he's six foot four and he looks like, you know, the god of Persia or something. Um, The man is a handsome individual. Um, But let's see. The Netherlands is a footballing nation that has a legacy. The U.S. is building a legacy. And if they win that match, I mean, (laughs) God help NFL Sunday because... Because soccer is going to take over this country for the for the days that that fall between the U.S. playing the Netherlands and then they go on to either play Argentina and Australia. And I the most romantic thing that could happen is the U.S. playing Australia in the quarterfinal and they both call football soccer. Can you imagine the content? <laughs> the FIFA World Cup, the Federación Internacional Football Association, and they're competing for a semifinal spot between two te- nations that call it soccer. Truly incredible. Go, go, USA. Go, go, baby Eagles. Go, go, Christian Pulisic. Get off that fucking hospital bed and get into that starting lineup. And uh, yeah, Saturday, we'll be awake at 7 a.m. We'll be downing the pints. Um, looking forward to it. 
Um, kind of on the topic of that and also just kind of on the topic. VAR and offside, someone's got to clarify this. And the problem is, is because you're going to get it more robotic and you're going to get it more and more you're just going to have it more and more contentious. And I can't tell you the amount of text chains I was on today trying to figure out how the offside rule is working and how offsides should be being determined now that it's semi-automatic or automated and has machinery in the balls that apparently need to be charged before matches, which is mind-blowing to me. But it's it's miraculous to me that nobody has looked to say, hey, tennis has this system called Hawkeye that was so clear that if any part of the ball was touching the line, it was in, and they would show the video for everyone, both in the stadium and at home to watch, and then that was it. And it was very clear, and there wasn't any argument, and if it happened, it happened, and that ended it. And I think the problem with VAR is that, number one, nobody understands offsides, and I don't think offsides is simple enough to fully understand. I, I mean, God knows, I, I think I know what offsides is, but sometimes it gets these, these lines drawn, which I still don't understand it. Um, so that's that. And I think also the problem with VAR is if you're at home, you kind of watch it and then you have commentators telling you what their thoughts are, but you don't get any feedback from the referee and you don't get any feedback from the, the guys watching the, you know, the virtual referees who are watching it and making the decision. And if you're in the stadiums, you get none of it. You don't get the replay. You don't get the commentator feedback. And so what you end up doing is you have a fan base or people that are watching or a viewing base that just doesn't know what's happening and nobody understands the rule. And so you either need to make up your mind and make the offside rule much more obvious um, and less open for debate, or you need to have much more transparency and communication with the way you're determining your VAR decisions. Um, even even yesterday, right, when Poland was playing Argentina and Wojciech Chesney jumped in the air to try and save a ball, what, at the same time, simultaneously, Lionel Messi jumped for the ball. And Chesney didn't touch the ball, but he, got his, he hit Messi in the face with his hand. Messi went down and it got called a penalty. And I think that's debatable. But what I would have loved is for a video referee to come over the audio waves and to explain it to the referee and say you know, hey, he leaped and he made contact with the attacking player. And if that were to have happened with Wojciech Chesney's foot in a tackle, it would have been called a penalty. So for consistency's sake, we're going to call this a penalty. Why? What is wrong with that, right? We're debating it already. So if, if you get that kind of video referee communication and you still disagree with it, then you're just continuing the debate, but at least open it up to understand what's happening. Because I can't, I know there's going to be seven to 10 more articles for the next three weeks that are going to be about why did the VAR referee do this? And why did this happen? Even today, right? The Japanese second goal, the ball looked like it was over the line, but then VAR looked at it and it said it was barely on the line. And then, but there's no feedback. So you've got the debate going on. The debate is always going to happen. You might as well be more transparent on it. So that's my thought on VAR and offsides. So anyway, we'll see how that goes. Um, I was going to do something about teams, talk about the teams doing well and, and talk about how like teams are the recognized striker or, or a striker that, that is, you know, world renowned or, or really um, succeeding and outperforming this World Cup. I don't know if I have enough data to suggest that. Really, I was going to kind of go into it about how Netherlands have Gakpo, Argentina have Messi and Alvarez, Croatia has Kramaric, England have Kane, Rashford, Spain has Morata, France Mbappe, Poland Lewandowski, Brazil, Ricardoson and Neymar, Portugal, Ronaldo and Fernandez. And Ghana having Kudus, and those teams 
doing exceptionally well, scoring a lot of goals. But we're in the knockouts, like I said before. We're going to get into some penalties. There's going to be some some strikers misfiring. But I do think I, I I would put I would put significant money on a team with a recognized striker winning this World Cup. So we'll see who it is. We'll see if I was I'm wrong or right. My FIFA uh, fantasy bracket is not exceedingly well. Um, if I were to say who was going to come out of these brackets tomorrow, Brazil obviously already having qualified. I would love to see Cameroon go through just because I think three African teams in the next round would be fantastic. Um, Switzerland are pretty good, but I actually think Cameroon come out of that group with Brazil. And then in Group H, Portugal have already qualified. I'd love to see South Korea go through just because I think they're fantastic and I love Hyungman Son. But Ghana, again, another African team. And I think African teams in the World Cup are always great to see because they just bring such energy. Um, and just, I, I just, I would, I hope I'm alive to watch an African team win the World Cup because I think that would just be poetic justice um, for many reasons. So anyway, um, I've been going on now for probably 40 minutes. So I'll talk a little bit about Ronaldo. I'll talk for two minutes. If you're going to come back to a team where arguably you're at your most legendary status, you have to understand if you're an intelligent human being, you have to know what, what you're going back to. And that interview with Piers Morgan suggested to me that he is just egotistical and self-involved and over the hill and he doesn't know how to deal with it. And it's almost like, as a, I'm hoping all males who are listening to this podcast understand this feeling. You know when you get into an argument with your significant other and you feel like you've developed this bulletproof argument, right? And you're saying, you're saying it calmly so you're not raising your voice. And, and this is not realistic, by the way, but I'm just, I'm hypothetically speaking. So you've got a bulletproof argument. You're saying everything calmly. Your significant other may be nodding, right, in your dreams, but they're looking at you. They're not yelling back. And then you say one thing that is just over the line or incorrect or stupid or you got cocky and that's all that anyone remembers from the fight and that fight is now going to last three more hours than you had originally intended it to. That's what he did because he his points are valid. The team hasn't developed. They're behind other major teams. He didn't expect that. The team has been in decline since Sir Alex Ferguson has gone on. The owners don't care about football valid. If he'd left it at that and he hadn't done it with Piers Morgan, I agree with him. But then he said, <laughs> I don't understand why Wayne Rooney is coming at me. I think it's because he looks the way he does and he's the younger than I am and I look the way I do, number one. He says shit about a coach that the majority of the fan base actually approve of. He says that he's been disrespected so he walks off the field and he regrets that, but also he feels like he's been disrespected. And he does it with a guy like Piers Morgan, who, if you're not familiar with, is essentially like Elon Musk and Donald Trump combined. <laughs> and maybe that's overstating it. Maybe I don't know who Piers Morgan is as well, but that's just the vibe I get. Maybe Alex Jones even, right? Like that level of just assholery. And I think the minute you say that stuff, people are just going to jump on your back. And that's where he fucked up because... He is a legend. He's a Manchester United legend statistically. And he was a legend for his early years. And he brought us a Champions League. And I'm sure 30 years from now, he'll be applauded when he walks on that field. But, man, I fucking loved Ronaldo. And I didn't think he was better. He didn't make the team better. I didn't think he should be playing this year. 
But to do that so publicly, and honestly, part of me expected Manchester United to just kind of deal with it because when he walked off the field against Tottenham, he got suspended for three days, and then two weeks later, he was being made captain of a team. Good for you, Manchester United, for getting rid of him and not having to pay a single cent of his $16 million salary. And honestly, if other teams are now going to pursue him, as he has said on a number of occasions, there were many Champions League teams calling for him. If somebody does that, fantastic. But at the end of the day, he's in a lose-lose situation. Because if he goes to another team that is Champions League and plays every minute and they get knocked out, he's going to be looked at as over the hill. If he goes to another team with a solid coach, which you kind of have to be if you're going to a team in the knockouts of the Champions League, and he doesn't play again, well, then you've lost your legacy at Manchester United and turned a lot of, your, a lot of the fan base against you for really no reason. So there's two losing positions. Number three, no Champions League team comes in for you and you go to Saudi Arabia and play for $300 million, which is basically admitting the fact that no other team wanted you. Or vice versa, you go to MLS to, you know, play for Miami or play for LA or maybe the Sounders, <laughs> right? But then again, you, 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 you have to put your money where your mouth is now because you've been saying for six months, big teams wanted in for me, big teams wanted in for me. I wanted out of Manchester United. They didn't let me go. They disrespected me. I hate it here, blah, 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 blah. And other people have said, there's no one who's giving them an offer. It's Saudi Arabia or bust. And he's too, he wants to be paid too much. So do I hope it works out for him? Yes. Am I happy he's off the team? A hundred percent. Am I going to, am I going to miss him in number seven? Do, do I, will I have the Sue running through my veins for a while? Of course. He's, he's a legendary number seven to go along with David Beckham, Eric Cantona, George Best, but he's not a club legend anymore. Not in the hearts of our fans. Statistically, fine, but you belong to Real Madrid now, mate. You're not a red devil anymore, and that sucks. But you know what? You do you. You do you. You're not on the team anymore, and I'm happy about it. And I think Eric Ten Hag has, has earned more fans and more 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 um, more appreciation in the past month than uh, than he ever would have if he'd kept playing him. So we'll see how it turns out. I'm sure I, I wish I could speak on Ronaldo for the next hour because I can feel my my blood level, my blood pressure rising and my heart rate rising as well. But nonetheless, um, thank you for listening. Go, go USA on Saturday. Go, go England on Sunday. Oh, man, I hope we win the World Cup. Um, but And then Manchester United come back um, during Boxing Day. So um, love you all. Thank you for listening. Happy uh, December. Happy last month of 2022. We've survived another year, um, which in the last three years is is probably an accomplishment in itself. I hope I record another one of these in, in a week or two. Um, hopefully I'll do one on Sunday. Hell, to kind of recap the US and England matches. I think that'd be great. Let's see how that goes. Um, but between then and now, peace, love, happiness. And I fucking love the World Cup.